and I, and I have seen, you know, in the group guys who have started to go to counselling, but it tends to be after they've been in the group for a while and they start to get comfortable talking about it with other guys, then they feel comfortable going to a professional. And I think that's really healthy that it's, you know, they, they're getting that, oh, I'm not alone in this. It's okay to talk about this. And then making that step to actually, there might be, there might be value to a professional talking to me. So I think, I think that's, that's really positive. That was our first guest, Tom Webb, talking about the closed Facebook group that is men only, ensuring that guys feel comfortable talking about issues affecting them in terms of their fertility. And whilst we're talking about support, do get yourself to my closed Facebook group, which is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash talk fertility. So make sure you don't miss the challenge I'm launching all about helping you save your sanity. It's kicking off in a couple of weeks. So we've come through this period of the clinics being closed and now they're reopening. And we've talked before about during lockdown, being able to empower yourself whilst at home. And one of the things that we were really keen to talk about was home testing. And it's still worth people thinking about it in the weight of the clinics reopening, isn't it? Definitely, because there's still going to be a bit of a backlog. So couples can get their tests done now to find that information out which will be really helpful but not only that we're also talking about couples that haven't even reached the stage of fertility clinics yet and who really want to get empowered and find out more about their fertility and that's where home testing comes into its own they can get that information done now exactly whether you're just starting to try or you want to know why it's not happening yet medichex who are sponsoring the podcast has a range of simple home blood tests developed with our very own kate davis to help you so visit medichex checks.com to find out more. So it's Men's Health Week in the UK this week, which is why the focus is on male factor issues. You know we've got a whole section on male fertility within the Fertility Podcast website. And we're really chuffed to have PharmaShort sponsoring this episode of the Fertility Podcast. Their male supplement, Impril, enables your body to maintain its natural metabolic balance and so ensures the very best chance of pregnancy. And what's great is that Impril works by providing the right balance of micronutrients, which are designed to improve the fertilisation capability of sperm. You can find out more at fertilityfamily.co.uk. Welcome to the Fertility Podcast. I'm Natalie Silverman, your host. I've been uh, using my voice in my work for about 15 years now. I used to be on the radio. Now I'm podcasting and do a lot of voiceover work. Now, the Fertility Podcast has a whole host of episodes for you from adenomyosis to zero sperm. It's a total A to Z of all sorts of things that affect you on your fertility journey. I'm mum to a little boy called Phoenix after having successful ICSI treatment, and that was my reason for starting the podcast. And I hope that if you found us, then you'll realise that you are not alone. This podcast is to help educate and empower you. I've brought together as many experts and tried to share as many of your stories as possible and I now have my wonderful co-host. I'm Kate Davis, a fertility nurse consultant and I'm adamant that we can all do so much better at understanding our fertility. I'm really passionate about teaching you to take ownership of your fertility, teaching you practical steps, emotional coping strategies and lifestyle changes that you can make to hopefully optimise your chances of conceiving. Now you know who we are, all you need to do is enjoy the show. So we're really looking forward to welcoming back Tom Webb, Director of The Easy Bit, to the podcast. I'm going to make sure there's links to the first chat I had with Tom 
where Tom told his story and the film, The Easy Bit, was in development. It's now finished and it's been screened. So first up, Tom, huge congrats. I know this is like a, a really significant achievement and I just want to just get from you how you feel and how you feel about the reaction of the film so far. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge achievement that I'm very, very proud of. You know, last time we chatted was, I think, 2016, it must have been. And, you know, I think by that point, I'm not even sure we'd filmed any of the interviews and we were just kind of getting the ball rolling. So to now have it available for people to watch and have it screened and it's just, yeah, it's, it's really, really great to see it finally out there and all of that hard work paying off hearing you know what people are saying and 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 having just people send messages of you know how it's helped and and what they thought of it and yeah it's been pretty full on for the last few months getting it all finished and getting it out but it's uh, yeah it's certainly paying off well i watched it for the first time last night and i have to say i really enjoyed watching it i found it incredibly emotional and i don't think i was quite prepared for the emotion that i felt and it raised so many issues which i've squiggled down to to chat to you about tom because i just found it fascinating and what i found is i was desperate almost to get to the end to find out what happened i wanted to know what happened how many of the men that you were speaking to and that were talking to us so eloquently how many of those men did go on to have a family and how many didn't and uh, it was just, I loved it. I loved it from very, very beginning to the very end because it was just so refreshing. I've never heard men talk like that in that depth. Even when I, as you say, Natalie, I, you know, I see women, but I often have men in the consultation as well. And I've never heard a man open up to that degree before, ever. My initial aim with the film was to make guys going through it realise that they can have support, you know, that there are people who want to help. Because when I went through it, I just felt there was just nothing for me. I didn't, you know, I felt that although all of the clinicians and, and, and doctors and nurses that we met were very pleasant, there was, they just, there wasn't that much interaction with me. It was because it was all very focused on, on, on my wife. For me, it was like, I feel quite lonely in it. And we were writing our blog at the time, uh, which was supposed to be for friends and family, but a lot of other people were, were looking at it and commenting. And the sort of defining moment for me was when I wrote about what it was like for me to give my sample on a collection day. And we had loads of comments, pretty much exclusively from women saying, I had no idea this was what it was like. I had, you know, and one of them said, I just went and apologized to my husband because I'd said all of these horrible things I didn't realize. And I, I, I sort of played down what he, what he had to do. And it just was quite eye-opening to me that, wow, there, there must be other guys out there that feel this way. And I think just hearing men talk about stuff, whether it's infertility or whether it's any sort of mental health issue, it just opens up that door for people to realise that they're not alone and they can seek help. So that was kind of my initial aim was just to, to make guys realise that it is okay to talk about this stuff. It's not, it doesn't make you you know, any less macho or any less of a man or anything like that. It's just a part of who you are. You can talk about it and it's fine. What I wasn't expecting were reactions like Kate's. People who are in the industry saying, oh, wow, we didn't realise or we or it's opened our eyes to things. So I'm fascinated to hear Kate's thoughts on it. For me, that just hadn't even been on my radar until we started to show it little clips here and there to people who are in the industry and when I started to show it to, to, to people like that. So, yeah, it's... um. I'm hoping that whereas I thought the change would come at the level of patient level with the guys feeling more comfortable, I actually think that 
I'm hoping that it will happen at a clinical level, which will have a knock-on effect to, to the men. I, th- I think you're absolutely right, Tom, because I think any clinician listening to that, any clinic, it would really make them think, actually, we've, we're doing things wrong here. We need to start including the man in all of our conversations. They need the opportunity to tell their story, and they've been denied that for so long. I just can't imagine that anyone wouldn't watch that and want to immediately change their processes within their clinic to accommodate men in a better way. Well, that's that's incredible to hear. I think a lot a lot of films are made for people to be to to you know loads of people to watch it, people to be entertained, and people to you know have that kind of snowball of of of, of like a, a big movie release. But for me, this was never the case. It was the primary concern was always to make sure that it improved the situation for men. So to hear you say something like that is that's that's why I did it. Um, it's wonderful. Because the emotions that were discussed by the guys were things like shame, upset, anger, words like horrific, ordeal, toil, emotional toil. They were such strong, raw feelings. And then, like I know from the conversations I've had, that feeling of being ignored in the conversation was pretty commonplace throughout each guy that told their story talked about that feeling that they weren't being brought into the process and we're going to talk later about the impact of that on the men but I was also really interested at the different comments like James and Gareth had both talked about this title this issue making them feel less of a man and we mentioned the mental health implications. Had there been more prominent conversations that you've heard as a result of, you know, obviously starting these conversations with the film? It's really funny, actually, because I've always uh, I've always been one of those men that's been very kind of comfortable in my own skin. You know, there's a lot of pressure in society, what they call the, the, the man box, like a man should behave in a certain way. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of pressure to drink beer and like football and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I from a very young age was never really into a lot of that sort of thing. I just like to do my own thing. So for me, I've always just been me. I've never really set myself that benchmark of being manly or being a man. So when I came around to doing this, that hadn't really been in my thought processes and just because it's, that's not me. And it was mostly talking to James because for him the masculinity aspect of it he's very interested in that whole concept of what masculinity is and how you are perceived as a man and and what what that means and he talks about it brilliantly and incredibly eloquently and it was him that sort of opened my eyes to that a bit and I had conversations with him about it and you know seeing seeing how he's changed since I've known him that's that is it's a huge thing like you know he's really kind of thought about what this means and how he's dealt with it and it's really interesting because when we filmed the interview he he was quite angry and there was a lot of anger there but that's that's changed he really works on his own mental health very successfully I think so yeah that was it was kind of a conversation I wasn't prepared for opening up but one that I've been fascinated by since how easy Tom was it to 
get the men to start talking because like I said I've never heard men open up in that way before how easy was it for you to get them to do that because it was incredibly emotional for from all of them actually you could really the raw the raw emotion was so obvious on their faces and in their voices how did you get them to overcome those barriers and feel that they could be comfortable to talk about those things um well I mean it came down to the fact I think I'd met I'd only met for uh how many of them three perhaps prior to filming four maybe and that would literally have, I'd, I'd have only have met them once. And we'd kind of had email conversations and, and chats on the phone and stuff like that. So I think there were some really key factors in the way that we made the film that contributed to them opening up so much. First off was that I'd been through it. Um, so they felt very safe with me. We designed the layout in the studio where we were filming so that my camera operator uh, or my uh, cinematographer, I should say, he was kind of quite well hidden. So they couldn't really see him that well. He, he was just a figure quite masked by the camera and then a big monitor. And we did that on purpose as well. And then I sat at a 90 degree angle to the guys. So when they're talking into the camera, I mean, they're literally looking into the lens. And when they're talking into that camera, there's no one looking back at them. So I think you mentioned the word shame earlier, Natalie. And I think when you're talking to someone face to face and you're making eye contact, that's when it becomes very difficult with certain emotions because you do start to feel shame or guilt or those kind of things that make you feel embarrassed. And so you tend to look away and that, that makes you kind of swallow your words and, and, and just put everything back in its box. So by having them talk directly to essentially an inanimate object in a safe environment they just opened up and I, I designed the questions so that they weren't um uh, if you read my questions they, they're really bland and very like matter of a fact and I, I tried my best not to lead them to, towards any kind of emotional answer even though I knew where the questions where they would have trouble I tried to make them sound as basic and as simple as possible so that there wasn't any kind of loaded expectation that they should feel a certain emotion and I also gave them the freedom to leave the room whenever they wanted, if they wanted to stop and have some food or, or something to have to drink, or they just wanted to go for a walk. Uh, they, they, were, they were welcome to do that. And they could stop the filming at any time. I just kind of made it really kind of put them in control of all of that. And also sort of started off with, at the beginning of the film, you hear them saying like one word that sums up like their fertility treatment or their their feeling or something like that so we started with a lot of those kind of questions like can you tell me what it's like to go through fertility treatment in one word or one sentence and i kind of had the vague thought that i might use those in sort of trailers and promotion for the film but they were just there to kind of just start off really easy basically get them saying saying something to camera get them used to the environment they were in and that kind of all worked really well but even i was really shocked at how once they started talking, it just came out. And I was not prepared for how far they went in terms of their openness and their honesty and their emotion. You know. It was really apparent that they felt comfortable. Mm. And I think that that, as a viewer, was really reassuring that you felt that the person was talking maybe prompted but not in any way forced mm. and from the heart and and one of the moments that got me was Lee when he kind of he got teary mm. and he took his glasses off and he hung his head and you kind of followed it and you just we know from being in this space that that whatever the outcome positive or not the journey stays with you and the talking about it 
brings those emotions up time and time again. And with the different guys that you had, the ways in which it comes up at different stages. And I remember as well, Johnny, mm-hmm. they'd been through their multiple cycles talking about a comment that someone had made about they needed a time machine. Yeah. And you just think, oh my, like I would have wanted to punch the person yeah. that said that. And when we're talking about the things that we hope clinicians and clinics take from this, it's that language, mm. the importance of that language being considered yeah. and knowing how impactful those crass comments are yeah i think you know you should be really proud of that because that's captured i think so well yeah i I think it's one of those things that you know when johnny said that in the room we had a little chat afterwards like after that that question once he'd given that answer just about some of the things that people had said and it was like it's just like you know everyone is human and everyone has good and bad days and i think you know in in this realm there are certain people that you might see certain nurses or certain consultants that you build, start building a rapport up because you, you know you might get to know them over the course of years and they might feel comfortable making a joke and that's absolutely fine but it's got to be so considered and and just you know this was someone they'd never met before you know this person could have been having an awful day and they just said the wrong thing at the wrong time but it's just being aware that that can have a massive impact and it, and it was a devastating thing for them to hear Really I'm was. sure if that person knew the impact mm. of their comment, they would be mortified. Yeah, absolutely. But it doesn't take away what, what happened no, in that no. split second, does it? And it is that awareness. And I know that with what you've been doing with the, the, the film during its development, the work you've done with Fertility Fest, that awareness piece has been so key mm. to try and get this message out. And I really hope, you know, if one thing is that, you know, if you want clinics to have screening nights mm. of it to show their staff, it would just be, I think, so beneficial to them. One um, thing that I found really interesting, actually, listening, and so I have to confess, something I've not really thought about is the fact that in the clinics, they, they mentioned about the fact that the counselling was absolutely set up for the woman. Mm. It was all about the counselling that woman would need going through the process and the effect on her emotionally. But there was nothing to support the man. No. Um, and I found that really interesting. And again, that's where I would really hope that if clinicians do have the opportunity to, to watch the easy bit, that they really start thinking about this is where we need to start making changes and provision for men in a better way. One of the things that came to light really early on in the production when I was doing all the pre-production work and trying to do some research, because I was trying to find out about how men do deal with this. It was, was there things that I didn't know, uh, even though I'd been through it myself. And I found Dr. Esme Hanna at Leeds Beckett University did a study about how men seek support. And her study found that men are much more comfortable seeking peer-to-peer support than they are peer-to-professional support. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's probably a big reason why clinics have never gone down the road of the professional support, because it just doesn't seem to be required. And to some extent, it's not because that's not how men like to deal with it. Absolutely. Um, Gareth set up the men's Facebook group called Men's Fertility Support and it's a completely private group and you can only join it if, if you're a guy going through fertility treatment and I, I'm one of the uh, members and I'm one of the admins as well and we have quite a strict joining process of questions and we, we, we make sure that the people in the group are the, literally just the guys who are going through it and I mean I think when I first met Gareth and joined that group there were 26 people in it and there's now nearly 2,000 I think from all over the world and it 
shows you that I think that works really, really well. So I think if clinics are thinking about how they can support the men with mental, you know, mental struggles and things like that, then groups like that, films like The Easy Bit, and I think there are some uh, podcasts and things that are coming out that are more aimed at men. All of those things, I think, are the things that are probably going to help the most. Yeah. And, I, and I have seen, you know, in the group guys who have started to go to counselling but it tends to be after they've been in the group for a while and they start to get comfortable talking about it with other guys, then they feel comfortable going to a professional. And I think that's really healthy. You know, they're getting that, oh, I'm not alone in this. It's okay to talk about this. And then making that step to actually, there might be, there might be value to a professional talking to me. So I think, I think that's, that's really positive. Because I think it was Alamin who said about how there was just a lack of advice on how to cope. And so just knowing that there's those peer-to-peer groups and I'll make sure because I've spoken with Gareth and we recently talked about a new male fertility kind of peer-to-peer support platform so I'll make sure all the mm-hmm. links are in the um, show notes for this episode but with all of this in mind and we're talking mid-May where we're currently still in lockdown however clinics have been given permission to apply to reopen and Kate and I have been having conversations with a, a range of clinicians and we're doing our best to continue these conversations about what the new norm as we're all talking about is going to look like I'm interested in what conversations might have started about how men are feeling, because we know from the outset that it's quite possible that a woman would be going in for If we're talking about a heterosexual couple, Mm. a woman would be going in for a scan on her own. So whilst we already know that men feel quite redundant in this process, they're now literally not being allowed to go. What kind of conversations have you seen starting to happen in the in the Facebook group? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's been some talk about that, and it obviously it's a it's a such a bizarre situation we're in at the moment. I mean, it's it's so so difficult because you have to ultimately put the population of a nation ahead of an individual in terms of health in this instance, which sounds awful, I think. So there has to be measures in place. At the same time, there's so much damage that can be done by excluding the guys from this process, you know, and, and particularly, I think what what I tend to see with any guy going through it, whether it's pertinent to this situation or not, is that quite often the emotional response is frustration and anger, because traditionally those are the emotions that men are allowed to express. So I think if there there is a way that clinics can find a way to safely have the guys involved, I think that needs to really be considered. Because, like you say, you often feel redundant, you often feel lonely, and you want to be there for your partner. This is something you're doing together. It's it's not an individual patient, which is how it often feels. I've always spoken about how I think when I went to give my sample on, on my sample pot was my wife's name. My name wasn't on it. And, and I, I completely understand there's a really key reason as to why that is the most important name to be on that pot. But you just kind of think, well, treat us as a couple. Like, you know, I know you have individual patient numbers and things like that, but maybe there's a way to make it as, you know, so you're, you feel more united. Why can't there be both names on the exactly, pot? Exactly. Yeah. You know, and it's stuff like that. And yeah, I really feel for well, anyone who's going through it at the moment, because it must be such a added trauma to have all of this hanging over us. Yeah, my heart really goes out to the guys that are are being told, well, you can have your treatment, but you can't come in. One thing that clinics have been doing quite a lot of during lockdown, just like every other organisation, is using different mediums in which to communicate with their patients. And they've been using a lot of video consultations. 
And I get the feeling from talking to a number of clinicians that actually they might start utilising that more. Mm. Do you think that that would be a convenient and good way for men to be involved in the process? That if perhaps they can't attend the clinic, if then both the the couple had an online consultation to review whatever, do you think men would feel comfortable in talking in that medium? Um, it's, It's difficult to say. I think it might be nice to have the option. I think anything that can be done to make the guys feel included is helpful. Uh, Any offer of help or any just kind of show of understanding that there is an issue that we need to kind of do better at or or we want to include you with or that. I think all of that goes, you know, that goes part of the way to to helping the process, which making guys feel like, you know, they're involved. Tom, before we let you go, there's one question that I just wanted to get your thoughts on in light of the film being available now it's on vimeo we'll make sure again that's very clear in the show notes so people can watch it if there's men who have been through their own fertility journey and and had success for example so let's have that as the scenario yet they don't want to look at this they don't want to relive it Mm. what would your advice be because i thought because i've i've spoken with people still going through it who have watched it with male factor and found it really helpful Mm. to know and feel and get that kind of experience of other men feeling what they feel but if as a reflective piece Mm. what would your thoughts be knowing from the guys that have been part of it how they felt being part of it and your own experience um i think alamin's kind of summed it up when i went and met with him afterwards uh he said that it was like a counseling session he didn't know he needed it's one of those things i can perfectly understand why someone who's been through it and has you know feels that they're done doesn't necessarily want to see it um, but I think that there is a value in just knowing that your emotions at that time are validated, like just knowing that you were okay to feel that way. And again, Alamin used this phrase that making the film taught him that being vulnerable made you stronger. And I think if that gets out there and if guys can feel that way about themselves, then that, that opens the door to all these conversations about masculinity and mental health. And, you know, it unlocks so much that could be so good for so many guys. Alamin also said one thing that just got me as well. He talked about it being a loss of innocence mm. yes. when, you, when you're going through the, the, the process, the medical process, which on the one hand is a marvel to see what mm. science has enabled, but that loss. And I think that's a big part of anybody going through this is that allowing, like you say, the vulnerability, but the allowing yourself to grieve yeah. for what you've lost. Mm. Um, and I think that was so poignant. I mean, some of their words were just so powerful. And what I, I, I found really got me as well is, and I can't remember who said it, it might have been Gareth, said he felt that they were sat next to each other, him and his wife, but he felt like he was outside of the room. Yeah. And it was, was it, I'm not sure if it was Gareth or who it was, but, oh, my gosh, that was just like, wow. That's yeah. how discluded he felt. Yeah, I, th- I think outside. that might have been Lee. Was it that. Lee? Yeah, okay, I think, sorry. I think so. But, but yeah, it, yeah it, it's a very uh, powerful... Uh, there's, there's a lot of powerful emotions that the guys are feeling mm. and they just they've just got nowhere to go but on the other side of the coin and I know you know it's certainly not the easy bit having to do what you have to do when mm. you go into the clinic not at all but I noticed that, that when they were talking about having to go into that room with their little pot mm. that's actually when they started smiling and there was a little you know it was a little bit even though it was horrific and horrible yeah 
there was still a little bit of humour that was coming through. Maybe the humour that they made themselves, the fact that the Gardener's World magazines. Yeah. I mean, I literally laughed out loud at that point because it was just hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the guys, you know, I think you have to, It's what, again, it's a coping mechanism. I think you have to find some of the, the humour in, in those situations. And it's not an easy thing to talk about having to masturbate into a pot. So I think it's, you know, that that's where the kind of the embarrassment comes in a bit and you kind of, you start to joke around and, and yeah there were there's some there's some funny stuff and we had some interesting conversations about it all okay. well Tom it's been great catching up again now that the film is done and out there and even though you wanted to have a big screening more recently than the first one you had that hasn't happened because of lockdown I know that people are able to now get it on Vimeo so like I said we'll make sure that they get the link and and it's a, an hour and 40 an hour and 30 minutes yeah, well hour spent and 35, I think. Yeah, yeah. Hour and 35 minutes definitely well spent so congrats i know it's such an important thing for you yeah. and it's been lovely being on the journey of seeing it evolve and grow and just seeing the outcome i think is really amazing and let's hope that we can get i think that's a really good idea clinic screening nights if yeah. you've not thought of it we should I get that happening yeah i think it's amazing and i know a few clinics that i think would definitely be interested awesome definitely all right tom you take care thank you, thank you very much and I'll make sure all of Tom's details are in the show notes. Our next guest is Morton Alstead, co-founder of Exceed, which is a home testing sperm kit. And I mentioned at the Start My Clothes Facebook group, well, with this challenge that's starting to help you save your sanity in a couple of weeks, there's going to be a brilliant prize, including one of Exceed's tests. So make sure you get yourself to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash talk fertility. And here's Morton to tell us all about the kits that they've created. So we're now going to welcome Morton Ulster to the podcast. Morton is the CEO and co-founder of Exceed Health. Now, Exceed are home sperm tests and in line with it being Men's Health Week and we've had a conversation with Tom and we want to just talk more about the practicalities of what men can do at home to make them feel more empowered. We're still in lockdown, even though it's been eased, things are still on hold. We want to try and make sure you know the options available. So Morton, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Tell us a bit about your involvement with Exceed and ultimately enabling men to test their sperm at home, which, you know, I think more men are getting a bit more comfortable with, but still it's a tricky topic, isn't it? Yeah, no, it, it really is. And it, it kind of came about maybe four years ago when I was introduced to the guy who's now my co-founder. He's a PhD researcher in epigenetics reproduction and also connected to a fertility clinic. So had firsthand knowledge on you know, men's uh, fertility health and sperm testing and all these types of things. And we had a, just a really good conversation. I just very quickly agreed that there's so much more that could be done in terms of, you know, making testing widely available, breaking down taboos. And, you know, we just saw a lot of public discourse around the, the female side of things. But, you know, the science shows us that 40% of any inability to conceive in a heterosexual couple is down to the man, right? So we just couldn't really understand why there was so little out there sort of neglecting almost half of that that puzzle. Yeah, so we set about to develop an advanced home test, which basically is as good as what you find in fertility clinics and andrology labs. And then just making use of this amazing computing power and camera technology we all have in our pockets in our smartphone. So yeah, that that's basically what, what we've developed. So with regards to the test, 
what parameters does it actually show? Because that's really important, isn't it? Is that we men want to know what it's going to show, what it's going to tell them. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it basically turns the phone into an advanced microscope. So then what we can then get from that analysis is uh, the concentration. So how many cells are there per uh, milliliter? So that's a million. And then we track the progressive motility as defined by the WHO. So they need to swim at a certain speed and in a certain direction. And then the last factor is the volume. So we end up with what's called the total motile sperm count which there's a decent amount of literature suggesting that that would be the best initial indicator of male fertility potential. Yeah, so we wanted to develop a test where pretty much any healthcare practitioner anywhere in the world will look at the result and feel confident that, you know, it gives them a good initial analysis. And then I know you can then, you know, go into morphology and DNA fragmentation tests, but we see that more suitable once you're further into a treatment course or whatever. So, yeah. Because I know that along with the tests, you also kind of marry that with advice and support. It's not just, here's a test, there's some results. You've got this questionnaire, haven't you? Do you want to just explain a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so we saw that at, as at least 50% of the problem, right? We talked to so many men who had maybe overcome the stigma or hurdle of getting into a clinic and had had a test done. And then they were just sort of told, oh, yeah, you're in the suboptimal category. It's going to be harder for you to get pregnant with your partner. So good luck. Right. And they just kind of felt left alone. So 50 percent of what we do, I would say, is actually this empowering tool of being able to actually improve your condition. So what we have is an automated lifestyle program as part of the the app in there. So basically, we're able to do a personalized program that's presented to the user based on the test and then information provided. So, you know, we have an algorithm in the back end that weighs who is this specific user and what are the activity patterns and anthropometrics. And then we present them only with the pieces of advice most likely to have an impact on that user. So it becomes a lot more instead of saying, you know, you got to stop smoking, stop drinking, lose weight, start exercise and everything at once. That's all very you know, that's, that's a tall order for anybody. We say these are the ones, like the top three pieces of advice you should be doing. Okay. And then we, we further drill it down and then say, here's a four-week challenge for you if you're up for it. Here's an eight-week challenge for you or here's a 12-week challenge for you. So you can navigate yourself what type of challenge you want to do and then, you know, start improving your, your, your fertility and general health, basically. And do you have recommendations on when men should test should they test right at the very beginning of their fertility journey should they test after they've been trying to conceive for a little while but not had any luck what do you what do you recommend uh well certainly if you're in a position where you and your partner are struggling or trying for a baby that would be a very good point to test because we just know there's so much stress involved in that uncertainty but we also think it can definitely be of interest to those who are just curious about their fertility status i mean we see around 15% 15% of the users in our system currently, you know, indicate that they're not actively trying for a baby. So these are people who, you know, are interested in their general health. They want to know about their fertility status. And actually, um, there's a growing body of research showing that fertility is quite a good biomarker for overall health. So they can be related to all course mortality. It's a systemic process, right? So if there's something else going on in your life, actually your fertility status is one of the things that takes a hit the, the fastest. Mm. So we recommend why not just have a test? It's so easy. It's accessible now and just get some certainty around it. But also if there is a problem, we know that, you know, prolonging, you know, the time to actually be in front of a, a type of expert 
would, you know, aggravate whatever problem you may have. So it's just good to have an indication early on. And Morton, in terms of the frequency of the testing, because I know that like the initial box, there's five tests. And the idea is, is that you do an initial test and then you do another one in about a week. Is that right? Before you then obviously try and make some of the changes that we, we spoke about. Yeah, that's correct. So the WHO guidelines state that you should test twice to get a baseline figure because basically your parameters can fluctuate on a daily or weekly basis, right? So you should test once, then wait about a week, make sure to abstain uh, from ejaculation 48 hours beforehand. And then what we then recommend is maybe do another test a month later and then a month later. And, you know, because we know it takes around 72 days for a sperm cell to be produced and matured. So whatever lasting change you do today basically truly shows itself three months down the line. So that's why we're trying to build this lasting lifestyle change, but also give people the tools to test repeatedly if they want to. That's why our starter kit comes with five tests. Yeah. And that's really useful, isn't it? Because certainly in the UK, if a man goes for a sperm test, he'll have one sperm test. And admittedly, if it's abnormal, he may be offered another one. But actually, even if it's normal, that sperm test taken is only a marker of the condition of his fertility at that one point. So therefore, having the ability to test more frequently, even if you have a normal test, can only be beneficial. Yep, absolutely. 100%. And then just going back to kind of support, and we talked about the lifestyle questionnaire, I'm kind of interested what other support. So if somebody is is really concerned about a result, are they able to talk to somebody from Exceed? Are they able to talk to a doctor? How do you work that? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a work in telemedicines module already. So that means in the app, you can literally just click on the icon on the front page that says online coach. And then you can book a free chat with one of our experts. So that could be a medical doctor specializing in fertility. It's a dietitian. We have personal coaches. And you can basically choose who you want to talk to based on what your concern is. So if it's more related to, you know, some sort of a medical side, of course, that would be the doctor. But if it's somebody trying to improve their diet, they would talk to the dietitian. We also have personal coaches for the ones who need some help planning, you know, an exercise regimen or something like that. So yeah, just trying to make it absolutely as easy and smooth as possible. And just whilst we're talking about the like logistics, can you just describe a bit about how it looks? You mentioned about it linking up to your phone. It's a pretty cool looking contraption, the test kit, isn't it? Because I'm looking at what looks like something that I might buy from Apple on your on your website. The actual physical because without being stereotypical guys do like a gadget and it is quite kind of cool and gadgety looking isn't it (laughs) well it's funny you say that actually because right from the beginning one of our aims was actually to say how do we break down the stigma around male fertility and stuff and part of that was you know we knew we had to design a cool looking product that somebody wouldn't be ashamed of using so the fact that you bring up apple i'm quite happy with that (laughs) but um Yeah, so basically you just you have to produce a, a sample, right? You transfer that very easily via the lid of the, the, the cup, so you don't have to touch any type of fluids at all. You just put the tip of the, the, the lid on the slide, and it's sucked in autom- automatically. Then you insert the slide into this device, and you put your phone on top. So no liquids touching anything, and it literally takes it's like a 30-second process, and then the overall testing flow probably takes about five minutes in total. So the all-important question then really is where can people get it and how much does it cost? Because cost has an an implication Mm. because certainly in the NHS, you know, they'll get a free sperm test. But like we said earlier, that's just one. 
So if they can get the, the kit and they get five sample slides, how much is that going to cost them? Our aim was to be able to at least match the price point of a private consultation here in the UK, which is, uh, they start around 150, go up to 210 for a single visit. So right now, our starter kit costs 150 pounds, and then that comes with five tests. So that works out at 30 pounds per test. It comes with a free consultation, free lifestyle program, and other support as well. So we're actually quite happy with, with this price point. Um, mm. And it's available directly via our website. So if you click purchase, it's going to arrive at your door two days later in a discreet package. And basically, yeah, you just get, get going from there. And you did mention that the clinics are quite happy looking at this type of information. That's part of, I think, the overcoming those hurdles people might feel about home testing is, is it going to be received well by their, for example, GP? If people aren't yet at the point where they're in a fertility clinic, but they, you know, they're being proactive, have you had any feedback as to how doctors are a feeling about men being so empowered and going and going, I've looked, there's a problem, what next? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so the first step in this, of course, is that we went through the whole very rigorous process of being CE certified as a medical device. So the doctors feel quite comfortable with the results that we produce. And in the clinics, we've actually had a, a really great result so far, because firstly, it shows that the patient coming in, even if they've used our, our product, they're highly motivated. Secondly, they bring in just a wealth of health information that often wouldn't get uncovered in a normal consultation. So we have a, a function in the app, for example, where users can just export their health report and send it directly to the clinic. So especially right now in the middle of the corona crisis, where a lot of clinics actually have uh, restrictions on being able to see patients, we, ha we had a, a very good uptake on clinics enrolling this uh, into their treatment so they can comfortably treat at a distance. So I'll, I'll say we've had a really good response so far. But it's also because we're very proactive about working with the clinics and with the healthcare practitioners, right? We don't want to take any patients away from them, if you will. You know, on the contrary, we just create more awareness, give more tools, and then we can all work together to get better treatment outcomes for everybody. I love how it's kind of giving men not just something to do, but we talked about Tom Webb and the easy bit and, the, you know, the guy's job being referred to as the easy bit. And we know it's not. And we know that there's so many other implications that, especially if there is a male factor issue, that men have to deal with. And I think that they can be so proactive and, like we've talked about, have the five tests and maybe gauge how things have changed for the, for the the hopefully for the better. But even if they've got worse, it's still empowering that they know that there is an issue that needs to be addressed. Is that feedback you're getting as well from men that are using this, that it's helping that kind of with that mental health part of, of what this is as well? Yeah, 100%. Um, absolutely. And actually, we've started uh, analyzing, you know, the cohort data of people going through our lifestyle program. We're actually seeing quite good improvements coming out of it. So, you know, average increases in your fertility parameters and actually people moving from what's initially described as a low sperm quality category into the moderate or up to optimal. So that's an extremely empowering experience for a person because, you know, he knows that it's because of the lifestyle change he's done. Yeah, I mean, that that, that is really interesting because I, I see quite a few ladies who um, may be joined by their husbands. And I remember particularly one lovely couple just recently, Italian couple living in England, and he just could not bring himself to go and see his GP for a sperm test. Mm. Even though we talked at length about the real benefit for doing it, 
the concerns about not doing it and actually they'd been refused further treatment until he would have a sperm test done but he just could not bring himself to do it so this would be absolutely ideal for him 100 yep, absolutely what else is happening because i know that there's some interesting uh work that you guys are doing with professor pacey professor alan pacey who has been a guest on this podcast before and i know that you're you're really keen to have ongoing trials and work with these different experts in male fertility can you can you talk any a bit about that at all uh, so we are in the initial stages on research collaborations with leading doctors here in the UK. I don't think we can disclose too much information on, on that yet, but what we are doing and we can very comfortably disclose is that we're working with the renowned Eugene Clinic in Spain on a clinical trial of more than 200 men who both come into the clinic and use our device. So we'll be publishing those results this year. And we're also working on a clinical study with Professor Peter Humayden in a large public clinic in Denmark where the study participants are following our lifestyle program. And then we're also collecting you know, other biomarkers, uh, hormone profiles, and you know, subsequent pregnancy rates. So these are really exciting clinical studies with our products, just because we feel very comfortable or confident in, in what we're able to do. And of course, want to be able to, to publish this and disseminate it to the um, medical community, basically. Yeah. Because I know from some of the conversations I've had with some of the experts in male fertility that part of the issue with the research, apart from lack of funding, is that you don't get to test enough men that don't have fertility issues to have a comparison, because why would they be tested? Is that something that you have considered or is that something that might be part of your your work? So you have that comparison of, of men that, you know, have had families successfully. Yeah, that's 100% spot on. Mm. So it is that control group of yeah, healthy males. So what we've actually done there is work with the European Sperm Bank. So that's the world's largest sperm bank, or one of them at least, where they've had men applying to become donors. Yeah. And they may be still in the healthy range, but they're not in that top 10%, which would allow them to become donors. And then instead of just sending them away again and saying, oh, you know, this is not for you. They've actually referred these men to us to then work with them, you know, and have a follow our lifestyle program, measure, you know, their sperm parameters. And this has given us exactly what you're talking about there, which is uh, this control group. Um, it's just super beneficial. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. I think it's really exciting. And hopefully it will encourage more men like uh, the one Kate mentioned to feel less ashamed and embarrassed and guilty about whatever and just have the test and, and get a bit more information. So Exciting times for you, Morton. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that, that's part of what we're trying to do. Just break down this whole unnecessary stigma on the yeah. male side, right? It's not something to be embarrassed about. Just go, you know, I can do something about it. Let's start at home and then, you know, spread the conversation from there. So um, and I think you guys are doing a, an amazing job as well. Thank you. So thank you. What about your peers, just before we let you go? Because obviously having this conversation, it, it's not an obvious conversation for men to have. And since you've been working in this space, has it been... Something that you found you, you, your peers are happy to talk about, your friends? Well, it's one of those things where, you know, nobody really brings it up. But then if somebody sort of, you know, breaks the the topic, then people are very happy to pitch in. It often gets a little laddie feel to it. Like, oh, what you know, which is you should be able to just, you know, talk freely about it. Um, yeah. So it seems almost some people are relieved to hear what I'm doing so they can actually share their story because it seems like they don't mm. haven't had other places to do that. So. So 100% is a conversation that many men are quite interested in having, but just don't have somewhere to 
to do it yeah or don't want to start it well we'll yeah. put the links as well in the show notes to this to uh, that male only facebook group and we've been speaking with tom about it as well because that's a really great resource for men to know that they can go and talk in and thank you for your time morton and, and good luck coming out of the crazy lockdown phase that we're in and leaving <laughs> leaving your building and getting to go back to the office and stuff <laughs> yes. yeah definitely it's looking forward to it so uh, thank you so much for having me on i really appreciate it Please do rate, review, subscribe and share this podcast. We love hearing from you and knowing what you think. Thank you as always for your support and until the next time.